Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. We have a different guest every week, and today I've got two. The first is His Excellency Camilo Balin. He is the Vicar Apostolic of Northern Arabia. That means he's the Pope's special representative for the Catholic Church in the area of Kuwait, Bahrain, and the Arabian Peninsula. Excellency, welcome to More Christianity. Thank you for being my guest today. Thank you. Excellency, I would like to speak to you a little bit about the relationship that we have as Catholics with members of the Islamic religion. I see that you have spent your life as a missionary to northern Africa and to the Arabian Peninsula. Is that correct? Maybe it takes Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia. So the relations between Christians and the Muslims are good. We don't have uh, problems. The problems are among the Muslims themselves, between the Sunnis and the Shiites. But we have uh, good relations with them, good relations with the governments. We don't have uh, particular problems for that. So in Bahrain, Kuwait, and Qatar, you're saying the relationship between Catholics and Muslims is relatively good. I noticed in the news that in Qatar and Bahrain and Kuwait, we are actually building churches. Is that correct? Uh, Bahrain, the king gave us a land for the building of the cathedral, which will be dedicated to Our Lady of Arabia. The king is very interested. Very often he wants to know where is the church. So he has to say, we have not yet started. We are still collecting money because our faithful are generous, but in general they are Asian workers, came here for a better salary. They are very generous, but they cannot face a bigger project like that. So we need the help from outside. But the king is very interested, and he told me we wanted to push the church. Two years ago, he gave the land, and uh, now we started the project. You're speaking about the king of, of Bahrain. King of Bahrain, yeah. Excellency, as you've said, the relationship between Catholics and Muslims in the kingdom of Qatar and Bahrain and Kuwait is relatively good and, and a happy relationship. They live together in peace. Most of yeah. the uh, headlines that we see in the newspapers and the news outlets across the world have highlighted the very harsh Muslim extremists in Syria and northern Iraq, they don't seem to be living very peaceably with Catholics. Well, in Syria, and especially in Iraq, now is under the influence, under the dominion of fundamentalistic Muslims, very radicals. Even the, the moderate Muslims don't accept what these radicals are doing in Iraq and in Syria. This is just a small percentage of Muslims, and they wanted to impose their interpretation of the Quran and of Islam. But this is not accepted by the other Muslims. So we cannot say that what is happening in Iraq is due to the Muslims. It's due to this kind of 
fundamentalistic Muslims, not the Muslims in, mm-hmm. in general. Bishop Camilo, one of the things that I think helps our listeners to understand, there are Shiite Muslims and Sunni Muslims. And the Shiite and the Sunni don't like each other. But even within those two categories, there are extremist factions. One of the ways I've explained it is to say, well, as Christians, we have Catholics and we have Protestants. And there are some Protestants, for instance, in Ireland and Northern Ireland, who are actually using violence to get their way. There are Catholics in Ireland and Northern Ireland who are using violence to get their way. But neither of these are good Catholics uh, or good Protestants. They're violent people who happen to have the title of Catholic and Protestant. Is that a good comparison to the situation with the Sunni and the Shia? Yeah. Religions, when they are uh, pure, they are not source of violence. But there are people in the different religions who are violent. But this is due not to the religion. This is due to the people, Muslims or Christians, who have uh, these violent attitudes inside their own community. And yet there are some who would say, we can have no dialogue with them. What is your response to a person who says that? It is difficult to have a dialogue with the radicals because they don't listen to anything. They don't have the spirit of dialogue with the others. They want to impose their doctrine, their vision, and their attitudes. And so with those sort of Muslims, you're saying there is no way we can dialogue? It is extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. If the extreme elements are the ones who are driving forward with military might and are intent on murdering, what kind of response must we have, do you think, towards the Muslim extremists? We cannot uh, respond to violence with violence, but how can we limit their action? The international community should intervene. They should uh, find a diplomatic way to to oblige them at least to reflect on what they are doing. This raises very interesting questions, Bishop Balin, about the proper response to violence what the proper Christian, what the proper Catholic response is, it's always very, very difficult because on the one hand, we want to protect innocent victims. As we're speaking this afternoon in August of 2014, the news is full of Muslim extremists in northern Iraq and Syria driving Christians from their homes, burning churches, and there's a wave of Christian refugees. On the one hand, we have a responsibility to help the victims and to welcome the refugees. Is the Catholic Church in the Middle East able to help with that? The churches in Jordan, for example, are helping. Also, associations like Added to the Church in Need, they are helping. A few days ago, the king of Bahrain told me that he wants to help the Christians in Iraq. He was even ready to welcome 200 Christian families in Bahrain. I contacted the patriarch, and the patriarch said uh, no need to take families from there, because we should not encourage people to leave uh, the Middle East, to leave their country. But this is to to show that uh, there are many sources which are interested to help the Christians in Iraq. You're listening to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. I encourage you to visit my website, dwightlongenecker.com. You can browse my books. You can listen to the archived programs of More Christianity. 
You can also be in touch, follow my blog, pick up on my Twitter feed. Today, my guest on More Christianity is Archbishop Camilo Balin, who is the Vicar Apostolic of Northern Africa. Bishop Balin, you have mentioned Aid to the Church in Need. That's one charity who are very involved in trying to help refugees, trying to help Christians who are persecuted. I advise our listeners, please, to go and check out online Aid to the Church in Need if you would like to give some assistance and help in this desperate situation of Christians who are increasingly persecuted in Muslim countries. Also, I remind you of Kanewa, which is the abbreviation for the Catholic Near East Welfare Association. That is a papal agency for humanitarian and pastoral support of Christians in the Near East. Bishop Balen, you've also worked in Africa. Do you see that the conflict between radical Islam and Christianity is spreading across the African subcontinent, or is it like the Middle East? In some areas, the relationships between Christians and Muslims is good, and in some places it's bad. Well, in Africa, we have the same situation over Nigeria, also Chad. There is a fundamentalism which is spreading. They are formed in special schools, special centers. Their mind is imbued of strange interpretations of the Quran. No religion, for example, admits that somebody suicides for God. In, also in Africa, there many, many victims. We have other countries in which also the relations among Christians and the Muslims are not so good. They are very difficult. In Nigeria, the situation is sometimes very, very painful, very sad, very violent. One of the comments I've heard before, Bishop, is that one of the problems in the Islamic religion is that they do not have an idea of forgiveness, that forgiveness is the bedrock of Christianity, that we, we begin our Christian journey by saying, I'm sorry, I messed up, I need forgiveness, I need the Lord, and that Islamic religion does not have the concept of forgiveness at its heart, and that's why they get into this endless cycle of revenge and bloodshed and murder and revenge and bloodshed. But is it true that forgiveness is not as central to them as it is for Christians? I can say that after 1,500 years that the Christians live with the Muslims, of course there is an influence from the Christians to the Muslims. There are many Muslims, moderate Muslims, who know to forgive. They know to reconcile with the others. I think the, the presence of the Christians, even though they, in many places, they cannot announce Jesus Christ openly, but through their life, through their witnesses, through their forgiveness, they are an example, and God is working in the hearts of everybody. So God can put in the hearts of many Muslims this sense of forgiveness, this readiness of reconciliation. For example, also other values which are spread from Christian schools. In our schools, we don't make a propaganda of Christianity, but we announce the human values. And the human values enter into the hearts of everybody. And the God is working the heart of everybody so that these values can enter into many hearts of many Muslims. So you're saying that although Islam does not have a strong doctrine of forgiveness at its heart, that this is one of the things that Christians can actually teach Muslims. 
Very often people say, oh, you can't talk with Muslims. They're not, they won't listen. They think you're wrong. But interfaith dialogue is not just about talking about doctrine or arguing about theology. It's actually living together. And a Muslim might very well learn what forgiveness is all about by seeing a Christian forgive him. Perhaps the, the Muslim has done something wrong to the Christian and the Christian forgives him. And this is a real heart experience of forgiveness, which makes an impression and begins to share the goodness of forgiveness and peace by example and by real experience. Well, I had uh, many occasions of Muslims who told me after uh, something, I am sorry. And uh, this happens. I think uh, forgiveness is a feeling, is an attitude that is not only for the Christians. And so they learn this, you're saying, as a human value, that this transcends all religions and it's something which Christians can share with Muslims. Of course, Christian forgiveness is very radical. Jesus says, forgive your enemies. And forgiving, yeah. forgiving those who've actually murdered our loved ones and taken our homes and destroyed our lives is humanly impossible. We, re- we rely on the forgiveness of Christ, the divine mercy, to help us to do that. But I love your example, Bishop Balin, that by living with and working with Muslims, that's how they will be able to see Christ, by hopefully seeing him and his life radiating out through our lives. You're listening to More Christianity today. My guest is... Bishop Camilo Balen, and we're talking to him while he's in his home in Bahrain. He's the vicar apostolic for the Arabian Peninsula, for Northern Africa, working his whole life over 40 years in amongst Muslims and learning from the Muslims and sharing the Catholic faith with them. Bishop Balen, as you try to build churches in Qatar and Kuwait and Bahrain, what is the impression or what is the reaction that you get from ordinary Muslims, not the king or the royal family or the politicians or the wealthy businessmen, but just ordinary Muslims, are they welcoming to Christians? Yeah, the ordinary Muslims, they don't have objection, and they protect the Christians. For example, when there were uh, demonstrations in Bahrain two years ago, there were sentences written on the wall. The Muslims discovered that uh, this wall was the wall of the church. They went to cancel these sentences. Normally, the Muslim people respect Christians. There is not a problem of uh, living together. The problem is uh, for the radicals, especially the, the youth. The young are um, much easier influenced by some doctrines, so they are the most dangerous for uh, living together. Bishop Bellin, thank you for being with us. I have an unusual request for you. I wonder whether you would please give us your apostolic blessing, and if you would do so in Arabic. Of course. Amen. Thank you very much, and thank you so much for being with us today on More Christianity. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. And now I want to switch over and talk to Michael Lesavita, who's the Director of Communications at Kanewa. Uh, Kanewa is the Catholic Near East Welfare Association. Kanewa, as it's called, is a papal association for humanitarian relief to Christians uh, and others in the Middle East. Welcome to More Christianity, Michael. Thank you very much, Father. It's a pleasure being here. I know as you work with the Church in the Middle East that you must be very knowledgeable about the complexities of the Christian and Muslim relations. Can you just give us a, a quick overview of the complexity of the of the situation within the Muslim world? 
Sure. Well, I can. It, it's painfully clear today. The very people that are protecting or were protecting the Christian villages in northern Iraq from the extremist fighters of ISIS, these were the, the militia members from Kurdistan. About a hundred years ago, Kurdish fighters in that same neck of the woods led millions or hundreds of thousands of Armenians and Chaldeans and Syriac Christians toward certain death on these death marches, expelling them out of the Ottoman Empire. So <laughs> right there you have an example of that. Today, these Kurdish militia fighters were our, and have been our defenders and protectors and have been very generous in terms of their support. But 100 years ago, they were the enemy. And the Kurds themselves are Muslims, is that correct? They're Sunni Muslims, that's correct. We have two big divisions within the Islamic world. It's more complicated than that, but simply there's the Sunni Muslim and the Shia Muslims. And why are they enemies? They're mortal enemies. Well, they're enemies because it's it's not unlike the Catholic-Protestant polemic that existed for centuries in our own Western tradition, or even the Catholic Orthodox, for that matter, that existed until Athenagoras and, and Paul VI met in 1964. I mean, they were mortal enemies, too. So this is not unlike that kind of a division between two groups who think possess the truth, possess a certain form of orthodoxy, adherence to the, the law and to the religion, and uh, as a result, they're mortal enemies. As I've said, it's not dissimilar to what we've experienced in, the, in our own Christian tradition. Fortunately, we've had the ecumenical movement in the last hundred years or so, and much has helped us along the way to not look at one another as the enemy, but as our brothers and sisters in the faith. And the Sunni and the Shia have different religious beliefs, but they also tend to, to fall into different tribal organizations and th in different geographical areas. Is that correct? In Arab society, for example, yes, things are tribal, but there are Christian tribes, too. Mm -hmm. They're families and networks and groupings. But you have Arabs who are Shia, and you have Arabs who are Sunni. So it's not so much an ethnic one, and even in terms of their geographic placement, you have Shia in Lebanon. They're Lebanese, there are Sunnis in Lebanon, and they're both Arabs. So it has much to do with who the, the emir was, or their leader at the time. It's very, very complicated, but the larger picture of Christian-Muslim relations, there's been coexistence since the 7th century, and sometimes there's been outright hostility. Oftentimes it's because of the actions of one or two leaders, and oftentimes it's, re it's in response to an outsider who thinks they're going to help the situation, and instead it may, they make it worse. It's a very complicated story. I'm speaking with Michael LaCivita, who's the Director of Communications at Kanewa, which is the Church's Near Eastern Welfare Association. And, Michael, to try to simplify things a little bit, would you say that it's the Sunni Muslims who are opposed to Christianity or the Shia Muslims who are opposed to Christianity? Or, again, <laughs> is it some of both? Sunni and Shiite Muslims are not opposed to Christianity. Muslims, from Muhammad on down, understand Christians and Jews to be people of the book. Jesus is revered as a prophet. Mary, for example, is cited in the Quran 
far more than she's recited or profiled in, in the Gospels. So Muslims are not against Christianity. There's even a, an understanding of the resurrection among Shiites. But what you have right now in the Middle East, it's very important that your listeners understand that these extremists that are acting and are destroying cultures and religions and communities and people, these are not Muslims. These are extremist thugs. Oftentimes, from what we're hearing on the ground, they're not even Muslim. They're coming from the outside. They're coming in from the Caucasus. They're coming in from North America or Europe. Not sure why they're going, but it seems as if they're interested more in a good bloodletting. And no good Muslim would call them a good Muslim either. And so they're basically bloodthirsty men thinking that they, they must think that they're serving Islam. They must think that they're serving the no, cause of Islam. No, they don't think that this is about power and money, Father. This isn't about serving religion. Right. This is about money and power. So the reason why they're going into Iraq is because things have stabilized in Syria. If anything, ISIS has lost ground, and they realize quite rightly that Iraq is collapsing, and so they're turning their attention e eastward. So they're trying to fill a vacuum where they sense that there's a, a place to take over and to take control. Nevertheless, there's something which is motivating them to persecute the other Muslim groups and also, of course, our Christian brothers and sisters and other ethnic groups in this horrible bloodletting that we're seeing take place at the moment. Thank you very much, Michael Lasavita, for clarifying things for us. I think it's a very good way to look at it and say these people are not faithful Muslims any more than the Irish Catholic terrorists who blew people up in Northern Ireland were, were good Catholics. And, and just like we wouldn't, right. we wouldn't want the whole Catholic Church to be tarred with the, the same brush that uh, saying exactly. that we're all Northern Irish terrorists. Likewise, it's not fair to say that all Muslims are violent, bloodthirsty people going around decapitating everybody just for the heck of it. The complexity of Islam in the Middle East with the Sunni and the Shia, is it correct that Iran is essentially loyal to the Shia cause and the government in, in Baghdad, in Iraq, is also loyal to Shia? And that's also some of the tension which is there, that it's a political matter? Absolutely. Uh, the Shiites are a majority in, in Iraq, or what was once known as Iraq, and, and were persecuted or discriminated against by the Ba'ath Party that was largely secular. The Ba'ath Party of Saddam Hussein was founded by a Christian. It was not a Muslim party at all. But a large number of those who were in it were Sunnis, and they discriminated against the Shiites in Iraq who were the majority, and of course, Iraqis are Arabs, Iranians are Persians, they're different nationalities, ethnic groups. So yes, there's a political, the, the current prime minister of Iraq is, is a Shiite and has favored the Shiite community, as opposed to the Sunnis, who were historically in power. And so ISIS was, in fact, welcomed by members of the Ba'ath Party or former members of the Ba'ath Party and by Sunni villagers because it meant getting rid of the Shiites who were running them and they detested the regime of, of Maliki. And so that's what has helped or enabled ISIS to cut, even come in. So it is a political issue, absolutely. Before we go, Michael LaCivita, the Director of Communications for Kinewa, the Catholic Near East Welfare Association, can you just very quickly tell us what is Kanewa doing to try to help those who are in such trouble at this time? 
Thank you. We've been working in, in the Middle East since 1926 and have a long history of working for Iraqi Christians and really redoubled our efforts after 1991, working with Iraqi refugees and the displaced, particularly their health care needs and pastoral needs, things of that nature, catechesis, etc. But now, of course, we're in the middle of probably the, um, the eradication in a cradle of Christianity. Uh, Iraqi Christians like to say that they're a cradle of Christianity and the cradle of civilization. What we're looking at is the end of that. So what we're trying to do, what we're raising, we're raising money. We launched a campaign at the end of July to provide uh, emergency services, provide things, emergency relief, water, food, whatever the bishops and, and our partners in the field, the Dominican Sisters of St. Catherine of Siena, the Daughters of Mary, other, other religious communities, the Dominicans, the diocesan clergy and, and prelates, providing this network with the means to get to them water and food and a blanket, uh, because most of these people left their villages with nothing, and to make matters worse, their proof of identification was stolen as they were leaving Mosul in particular. So they have no proof of their identification and can't even get into safe areas such as Kurdistan. So we're raising money, raising awareness to provide them with the aid that's necessary. And the Catholic Church in general worldwide has been doing this. And uh, was re really, we've been the first your partner in arms at Pathios, Elizabeth Scalia, has been a wonderful advocate and has just been crying about this, about this tragedy and, and promoting the need for Catholics to respond. And through Catholic Near East Welfare Association, uh, Catholics have been most generous. So thank you. And what else can our listeners do to help? Well, they can pray. We, Our brothers and sisters need prayer desperately. Prayer moves mountains. That's what our faith teaches us. We also need hope because we're Christians and we're people of children of the resurrection. And as Catholics, we always think of the risen Jesus and should think of that. So we need to maintain hope and instill hope that God willing, a solution will be found. And these people will find safety and live prosperous, happy lives. But also, too, we need to advocate. We need to advocate. We need to let our representatives know that this issue matters, that we want something done so that our sisters and brothers and other minority groups like the Yazidis who are literally, uh, their children are, are, are dying of thirst. They're on top of a mountain, 40,000 of them right now, with no water and no food, and they're dying. And we need to pray for them too. And heck, why not tell our bishops and our pastors? Because I'd like to hear our local churches our, our clergy uh, talking about this, too, because these people are living their faith. It's tested. Thank you, Michael Lasavita, the Director of Communications at Catholic Near East Welfare Association, for helping us understand the complexities of the terrible situation in Iraq and Syria. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Father. <laughs>